Once again, we've got a speaker who absolutely needs no introduction. Tom and Martha have been members of RUMC for over 40 years. Tom uh, graduated from North Carolina State with a degree in uh, electrical engineering and served his career with uh, Bell South. Tom has had many leadership positions in this church, including chairman of the Board of Stewards, chairman of the Board of Trustees. He's been president of this class twice. But there's one thing about Tom that I never knew, and it's the only person that I have ever heard of who, while he was in college, he took an optional religious religion course. Now, that in and of itself is not unique, but here's what makes it unique. That religion course was taught by an atheist. <laughs> Tom? Thank you, Don. It was always a pleasure to uh, come to CUC and be able to come up here and try to share some of my beliefs with you, and I appreciate that uh, Don allowing me to come this Sunday. Um, the scripture lesson that, uh, that you've already heard, the scripture that goes with today's lesson, um, comes from Isaiah, and a uh, very familiar passage about the virgin birth that would be a sign from God that uh, he would lead the Hebrew nation. Um, up front, this is not going to be a Advent lesson. Um, this lesson will highlight Isaiah the prophet that uh, uh, brought that uh, amazing prophecy uh, to us some 700 years before it actually happened. Um, and a very interesting character in the Old Testament. But first, I want to pick up on Mark's lesson last week. Um, let me tell you, it is not easy following Mark Goodwin when you come to this podium. My gosh, what a fantastic job he, he does every time he comes up. We are richly blessed. But last, last week's lesson was particularly helpful to me. Um, I was pleased when, uh, when Mark said, it's okay for us to doubt. Um, I believe that when we doubt, when we question our faith, every time that happens, it presents a growth opportunity for us. Um, it leads us to study God's Word. It leads us to fellowship with other Christians. And through all of that process, um, we grow. Um, in my life, uh, as Don has already mentioned, though this is a true story, um, I chose an elective my senior year. And I chose a course in religion, uh, not exactly on a whim. I was raised in a Christian home, had a real Christian background, and, uh, but I felt like it would be an interesting course for me to take. Um, as it turned out, um, yes, indeed, this professor was an atheist, but he knew his Old Testament Bible very, very well. He knew scripture from one end of the Bible to the other. He had been raised in a Baptist home, by the way, but uh, somehow he just could not accept the truth that the gospel story uh, presents to us. Um, every time he would talk about a particular scripture, he would preface his that by saying Christians believe. Well, I didn't want, to, but didn't want to know exactly what Christians believe. Tell me what you believe, Professor. Well, uh, it was toward at the end of the class when it became very, very evident that this guy was indeed an atheist, and he presented himself that way. Um, I, I liked the guy. He knew his Bible very well. I was stunned to realize that he was an atheist. And it caused me, frankly, to wonder about my own beliefs, my own Christian background. Um, 
it was one of those events in my life when I seriously doubted. It encouraged me to study, to grow my faith, to fellowship with other Christians, and it sort of turned my life around. I went back to being a Christian myself. But because he raised these questions, it prompted me to study. Through that study, we grow. Through fellowship, we continue to grow. And uh, that's when my Christian journey began. And it's still continuing today. First of all, I want to thank God for being patient with us when we doubt. I want to thank God also for providing the Holy Scriptures that enables us to study and strengthen our faith. But most of all, I want to thank God for the Christian fellowship that we experienced in this class, that I experienced earlier in my life. Uh, these are the things that really strengthen our faith beyond anything that we could learn in a course on, on uh, religion in college. Um, because these are the things that we truly believe. These are the things that we strengthen our belief because we study and worship. Um, Christian faith believes us to believe some very amazing things. And certainly one of them is today's scripture. Um, now, that had to be a miracle if ever there was one. Let's face it, folks. Virgins don't have babies. The Hebrew people were cattle raisers, sheep herders. They knew that you didn't get lambs unless there was a ram in the flock. Believe me. And when somebody talked about the virgin birth, it had to be especially miraculous. But on the other hand, what more amazing way for God to think of to introduce his son into the world? It had to be something amazing. Otherwise, we wouldn't have to be strengthened in our faith. I mean, if this thing happened every day, it wouldn't be an amazing fact. We wouldn't need God. We wouldn't need our faith because we can't really prove everything we believe in. And because we can't prove it, we have to think in terms of God. And this is the reason we have faith today. Um, this is not the first uh, sign that God sent in our Bible. The first one that came to my mind is actually in, in Exodus, the burning bush dory. You remember how Moses saw God and was attracted to this miracle in the burning bush. If it hadn't been for a miracle, if it hadn't been for this miraculous sign, Moses would not have led the Hebrew people out of captivity um, in Egypt. Um, God uses these signs to call our attention to special things. And certainly in this case, the scripture today that uh, was the birth of, the, of Christ was a sign. Um, at this point, we need to look at a little bit of the history because I want today's lesson to be a description of Isaiah the prophet and especially the book that he wrote. You recall that according to the Mosaic law presented way back in the book of Exodus, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, that God had decided that the Hebrew nation should have a prophet and the prophet's job was to present God to the people. Um, a preacher, if you will, but a little bit more than just a preacher. This had to be somebody with a very strong faith himself that was willing to stick his neck out. Um, the, the prophet's job was to present God with the people, but in reality, in the Hebrew world, that meant presenting God's word to the king, because the king was the one that was the spokesperson for the people. Um, when Isaiah came along as a prophet, 
Um, it was a, a very difficult time during Hebrew history. King Ahaz was the king at the time uh, uh, Isaiah became a prophet. And uh, if you will remember a lot of your Hebrew history, you'll remember that King Ahaz was one of those very poor, very evil kings in the, in the southern kingdom of Judah. <coughs> um, he prompted idol worship. He locked the doors of the temple, wouldn't allow the Hebrew people to go in there to worship. He even sacrificed his only son to a foreign god. This guy was not God's servant. So this was the person that poor old Isaiah was expected to go to and present God's message. It was not an easy job. Isaiah didn't shy away from it. Um, at that time, the Assyrian Empire, a very strong and mighty nation, was the ruler of the world. They had already wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel, if you remember your Hebrew history. Um, and they were now about to come into the southern kingdom, where poor old Ahaz and poor old Isaiah was, um, had their job. King Ahaz wanted to surrender to the Assyrians. That meant that the Hebrew nation would be subject to them. They would be a vassal of the Assyrians. And he wanted to uh, surrender rather than have the nation wiped out, as he had seen it happen in the northern kingdom. Isaiah pleaded with him not to do that. It is against God's will for the Hebrew nation to ever align itself with a idol-worshipping nation, as the Assyrians certainly were. And he went to Ahaz to present that argument. And he, at that point in time, as recorded in chapter 7 of his book, he says, God will send you a sign. A virgin will conceive and bring forth a son, and he will call, be called Emmanuel, which, of course, means God with us. This was 700 years before it happened, but Isaiah really didn't know that. He was expecting this kind of prophecy and this kind of miracle <laughs> to change King Ahaz's mind. Um, that didn't happen. Uh, King Ahaz would not accept that word at all. And yes, in fact, he signed an agreement with the Assyrian nation in order to avoid attack. And the Hebrew nation at that point in time became a vassal, paying tribute to the Assyrians. Um, Isaiah backed away. He had failed on that assignment, but he didn't give up. He continued to write, and this is what he said. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace, not exactly the kind of Messiah that King Ahaz was uh, expecting. Um, a little later, um, King um, Hezekiah became king. He was the successor to Ahaz. Now, Hezekiah presented a much better image for God. He tore down a lot of idols. He encouraged people to return to their faith in God. He reopened the temple. He instituted all kinds of forms, reforms, and this was certainly good. Hezekiah was certainly a, a good king. Um, he did reform uh, many of the idol-worshiping practices that had been put in place, but at the time, um, Israel was still a, um, 
a vassal state of the Assyrians. They continued to pay tribute. One mistake Hezekiah made. When the tax collectors from Assyria came to collect their taxes, he tried to be a good guy. He wanted to show them the temple. So he did. Well, they saw all of the gold that was in the Hebrew temple and went back and told their king back in Babylon that, hey, look, these guys are paying a tribute, but there is a whole lot more gold and money down there that they are not sharing with you. So, in a few years later after that, um, about 10 years after the fall of, of Judah, the Assyrians returned. This time, they were interested in the gold in the temple. They were just as fab, as fierce as they were before. That had not changed, but this time they wanted the temple. They moved through Judah, the, the cities around, surrounding Jerusalem, very quickly destroying all of them. They stood at the very gates of Jerusalem itself, a mighty army. King Hezekiah was a God-fearing, certainly godly man, but he was terribly concerned about what was about to happen. He um, went to Isaiah. Isaiah presented his same strong argument. Do not yield to the uh, Assyrian army. Um, he convinced Hezekiah to wait just one more night. They prayed um, fiercely, devotedly at that night that God would somehow send a miracle. Well, it happened, folks. Overnight, the Assyrian army suddenly became ill with a mysterious disease. They all got sick that night. They dropped their weapons and retreated back to Babylon. Um, that's not a myth. That's, that's recorded in the history of the nation of Assyria. It's been um, proven over and over again through relics that archaeologists have uncovered. It was an event that was certainly an act of God. No, way, no other way to explain it. Now, the, the, the myth part of it is that the general of the Assyrian army went back and reported that their God is stronger than our God. Now, that part is not reported in Assyrian history, as you might expect. So you can just take that for what it's worth. Um, later, when King Hezekiah became very ill, he again met with Isaiah and said, what am I going to do? Isaiah prayed to God. He said, Hezekiah, you're going to recover, man. You're good for another 15 years. It happened. He did recover. He lived another 15 years. All in all, Isaiah predicted 23 specific events in Hebrew history. They all happened just as Isaiah had predicted. He predicted 19 things about the Messiah. Many of these happened during the time of Christ. They're well recorded in the gospel. The other parts of the things that he predicted, and we'll talk about a few of them, more of those in just a minute, um, haven't happened yet. They're going to happen when Jesus comes back. I'm convinced of that. Isaiah's track record of forecasting is absolutely amazing to me. Now, look, I had a career in engineering work. Engineers almost always depend on forecast. Right, Bill? You bet. When you lay out a building, you have a forecast of the people that are going to be in that building, right? Um, if I had ever seen a forecaster that had as much success as Isaiah, it would be a miracle. It didn't happen, folks, not since Isaiah. That guy was a man of God, believe me. Um, I 
struggled with the title of today's lesson several times. Um, I gave Don a, a title for today's lesson uh, last couple of weeks ago, I guess it was last week, and I changed it several times during the last few days. I sent uh, Sue on Friday a name for our, my lesson. I called it, um, what did I say? <laughs> but anyway, yesterday I changed it again. So if you will excuse me, I like to call today's lesson God's Amazing Prophet. Um, let's give some tribute to God because Isaiah was a man of God. He could not have done the amazing job of forecasting if he hadn't been an instrument of God. And Bill, maybe if we get a forecast that's presented by somebody that's an instrument of God, you'll have the most successful building you ever saw. Of course, there are many skeptics that would say um, that Isaiah wasn't really written 700 years ago. He was written after these events occurred. And my gosh, like you say, Bill, it's very easy to forecast things after they occur, right? Okay, lots of luck, you skeptics. The confirmation of Isaiah comes from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Dead Sea Scrolls were um, um, found in, uh, I think, 1947. Um, I don't know of any more uh, exciting archaeological evidence has been found of the early Hebrew people. They have been studied thoroughly from one end to the other. Um, one of the things that we found from the Dead Sea Scrolls is 21 copies of the book of Isaiah. The oldest of these dates back to 200 B.C. It's written in ancient Hebrew script, and it gives the, the words of Isaiah the prophet that are virtually identical to what we have in our Bible today. It wasn't made up after the events happened. To me, that's greater deal of evidence that we do have a, a Bible based on some facts that happened, and God willed it, and God made it happen. Um, I listed a couple of the uh, forecasts that I, Isaiah uh, had. I've already talked about them, but I'll back up just a minute. Um, let's okay, okay. Isaiah predicted that Jerusalem would eventually fall. It did. He predicted that the Hebrew leaders would be hauled off to Babylon. They were. He predicted that the exiles would return after 10 years. They did. He predicted that the temple in Jerusalem would be restored, and it was. This guy is some kind of forecaster. Of course, Isaiah is not the only prophet in the Old Testament that predicted the coming Messiah. Uh, Micah predicted that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Zechariah says that he will enter, have a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And of course, if you look at Psalms, there are numerous references to the coming Messiah. Psalms 22 describes the crucifixion in detail. It doesn't exactly tell us who is being crucified, however. Um, and no other book presents forecast of the coming Messiah with the grandeur and glory that Isaiah did. It is a beautiful book. It's beautifully written. Um, you may have heard that there are actually two Isaiahs, that Isaiah wrote the first part, but then his followers probably added the second part. Um, several years ago, that was a popular assumption. The recent stuff that I have read says that that's not the case. They feel like now that Isaiah wrote sec both sections of his book, it's easily divided into two sections. There seems to be a, a, 
a historic interlude between the first part and the second part. But every indication is that Isaiah now, that Isaiah did write all of it. It's the same type of writing that he used, same word structure and that kind of thing that uh, the, the scholars use to determine that kind of thing. So Isaiah did the whole thing. I believe it. Um, it's interesting, too, to find that the word Messiah doesn't show anywhere in our uh, Old Testament. The word Messiah is just not there. In the New Testament, it shows up 74 times. So the term Redeemer is used, the return of New Leader, House of David, all of that certainly show up frequently in the, in the predictions in the Old Testament. But nowhere else, nowhere does it say Messiah, um, not in the book of Isaiah or, or anything else. So when the virgin birth finally came, why didn't the people of Israel recognize it? Well, from a practical standpoint, I can think of a number of reasons. This is Tom talking now. I didn't read that anywhere else. But the Immaculate Conception itself took place in Nazareth, okay? The birth itself took place in Bethlehem nine months later and 80 miles separate from um, uh, Nazareth. Um, of course, we know that um, Joseph knew that it was a virgin birth. Mary knew it was a virgin birth. Elizabeth knew it was a virgin birth. She might have been, uh, experienced something like that herself with John. But the fact is that a lot of the people in the little town of Nazareth where this occurred would not have believed it. It was just too far-fetched for them to believe. And the word somehow really didn't get back to the people in Bethlehem nine months later. Of course, the wise men knew about it, and Herod found out about it from the wise men. Um, but as far as the Hebrew people in general, nobody really knew a whole lot about it. But the biggest reason, the one that is more typically presented, is that this loving, gentle, godly man wasn't the kind of king the Hebrews were looking for. Isaiah had predicted that the coming king, the product of this virgin birth, would be called the Prince of Peace. The um, Hebrews at that time were subject to the Romans. They were not looking for a king of peace. They wanted a king of rebellion that did not fit what God's had in mind for his future king to bring. Um, okay, I spent a lot of time talking about uh, Isaiah, uh, a terrific Old Testament prophet. And, oh, I, the more I study this book, I'm just fascinated by it. That guy was some kind of good. But have there been prophets since Isaiah? Um, well, I can certainly think of one. I'm sure that there have been others. Martin Luther, back in the 15th century, early part of the 16th century, I guess it is, um, was certainly one of those prophets. And just like Isaiah, he stuck his neck out. The Catholic Church at that time had grown very corrupt, as I'm sure all of you know. Uh, indulgences were sold as a means of guaranteeing your entrance into, the, into heaven. And by the way, they also built up huge treasury in the, the Catholic Church. Um, Luther said, all of that is wrong. You cannot buy your way in heaven. By faith we are saved, not by good works, not by the big check that we sent to the church. Um, and he went to the Pope with that, just like King uh, uh, Isaiah, not Isaiah, you know, 
uh, King um, Ahaz, he wasn't anxious to hear that. The Pope was not anxious to hear that kind of word. Um, so Luther really stuck his neck out. The result was the Protestant Reformation. The bottom line is that's the reason we have a Christian church today. But uh, um, it cost him his life in the process. Martin Luther was a real-life prophet that we study about in our, in our history everywhere. Um, to many people, Billy Graham would be considered uh, a current-day prophet. Um, a stronger Christian, a greater evangelist you'll never want to find. Of course, Billy Graham died several years ago. His son, Frank Franklin Graham, has taken over the ministry and has continued with a lot of what Billy Graham um, uh, taught and, and preached. Um, I get a Billy Graham uh, monthly magazine, and one of the things that uh, is constantly in there uh, is a strong, strong opposition to homosexuality and to abortions. Um, same theme, week after week, month after month. Um, and this is a very strong image presented by the son of a prophet. Um, he frequently warns about the left-wing movement, the extreme left-wing movement in our current politics. Uh, I'm not here to say whether that's right or wrong, but he warns that if this movement continues, not only will homosexuality continue to be... Um, highlighted and seemingly glorified, um, not only will uh, prayers be taken out of the schools, but our Christian symbols will probably be destroyed. And the Christian church that we know of today could be in serious jeopardy. Um, he looks to the Christian church as the source in mar from, of morals in our current society. Um, and there are a lot of people that would say when you destroy the Christian church, you will have a moralist nation. That scares me, folks. It may be overstated. There are uh, people, um, Jim McCormick for one, to be honest with you, that uh, thinks that Franklin Graham is presenting too strong an image there, that there are ways to accommodate this thing if we know how to do it. Um, that remains to be seen, but it is a concern. Okay. Um, Food for thought. Do you know what countries today currently occupy the same lands that the Assyrian Empire um, had um, several thousand years ago? Well, if you look at the map, it's Iran and Iraq, okay? Um, the Assyrians worshipped idols. Iraq and Iran, the Muslim nations, don't worship idols. But I'm here to tell you, they do not worship the same God that we worship. They are a threat. There's no doubt about it. I look back and thought of a familiar hymn that seems to describe the situation pretty well and give us, gives us hope and strength to face that kind of a threat. Believe it or not, Martin Luther himself wrote this hymn. It goes like this. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and might are great, and armed with evil hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, the fight would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age, 
the same, and he will win the battle. Amen. Um, got a couple of other things here. You think that my faith wasn't strengthened by Bible study? You think that I didn't grow from that experience that happened umpteen up years ago, my senior year in college? Well, certainly my faith has been strengthened. I stand before you as a witness to my faith. Bible study um, improves our ability to speak our faith. Fellowship in classes like this, when we're meeting with, with believers, we're discussing all of these things. Oh boy, does that help a lot. Uh, we grow on our Christian journey by facing doubts. Do I, help, do I currently experience doubts? Well, yeah, but they're pretty minor compared with what I experienced back my senior year in college. Praise God for that. And thank all of you for helping me face those kind of, 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 of misbeliefs. Um, now I want to get back to um, another part of Isaiah. And this one is, is almost humorous. And as I read through this, you'll see what I'm getting at here. It's a special message to us senior citizens types. Okay, the end of Isaiah, as it turns out, is very much like the end of the New Testament. It's very much like Revelation, and you'll understand these comparisons as I go through this. I'll read this. This is Isaiah 65, 17 through 20. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former king, former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. I will rejoice over Jerusalem. I will create a new Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. Never again will there be, there be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who lives to a hundred will be thought of as a mere youth. How about that, folks? He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accused. Thanks to Isaiah for that. I'm going to close with a simple prayer. Another hymn. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, be thou our guide while life shall last and our eternal home. Amen. Thank you, Tom. You never disappoint. You're always a treasure. You're a treasure to us. Thank you. And there may be hope out there. I was listening to 104.7 The Fish. I don't know if y'all listen to that. And there is a movement going on with our high school students that they go to the flagpole for prayer. They don't lie in church, but they found a way that they gather at the flagpole each day for prayer. So maybe there's hope out there. Let's hope so. Okay. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Make it a great week. See you soon.